Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today on Barca Talk, tis the season for El Clasico. We have all the news and a scouting report on Real Madrid. Barca B continue a string of draws, and Real Sociedad gave Barcelona a tough match in La Liga, ending in a 2-2 draw. Hello and welcome to Barca Talk, the podcast for FC Barcelona fans. I'm your host, Brian Henderson in Buffalo, New York. Joining me from Madrid is my co-host and your tactical analyst, Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from another mother. I survived my Christmas party yesterday. And Me I'm... too. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> we got to bed around three in the morning, which for us is very, yeah, very sure. late yeah. last night. We started off at lunch at two. And I was telling you before we recorded, you know, two in the afternoon when I was walking home, it was 5 a.m. So it was definitely a, a long night, but it was a lot of well, fun. You know, you know, now with that we're older, right? You just don't get together with your friends as often all at once, basically. And with yeah. my group of friends that I like my close group of friends, it's uh, two occasions every year. We do a, we rent a house in the summertime. We do that one weekend and then we always play on this Christmas party. So it's always good to catch up because you always have a good time. Yeah, so it's a big deal. For sure. Yeah, see, our Christmas party, we just went to a party at that same house with those same friends a month ago. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, like I told you before, Ryan, here in Spain, and especially in Madrid, this month is just chaos with so many Christmas parties going on. I mean, last night, especially, you know, in, in the center of Madrid and stuff, there were so many people just on work parties, friends' parties, and it was definitely a great vibe in the city. So, and uh, yeah, so just looking, counting down the days to Christmas now. Yeah, well, plus it never gets too cold there. Yeah. I mean, maybe for you it does, yeah. but like for me, if I were to visit Madrid right now, I would be so happy. <laughs> uh, this week we did have a little bit of a cold spell, but yeah, it's it's definitely mild compared to other European capitals. Well, what's happening this week is... El Clasico, that's the big topic, of course. So we should scout that out and talk about it. This, of course, is the rescheduled edition of El Clasico that was supposed to happen on match day 10 back in October. But at that time, former Catalan government officials who had been arrested for holding a referendum vote on Catalan independence in 2017 had just been sentenced to lengthy prison terms and Barcelona broke into a state of civil unrest for several days. So the match was rescheduled. And, and now it is upon us. The rescheduling of this, you know, is definitely inconvenient for everyone. But, uh, you know, from a selfish point of view, you know, I miss not having it during the weekend because I just think it loses so much of the luster. And especially for people around the world that have to actually work during those times, you know, you're going to lose a big portion of the audience. I know it was really difficult to schedule this because of all the other matches coming up and the weekends coming up. But, you know, I and have there to was all kinds of back and forth about should we 
do it somewhere else but on the same date or should yeah. we reschedule and there was all kinds of that going on and they finally decided to reschedule it and they and they just sort of squeezed it in towards the end of the year just before the last match day of the calendar year for sure and you know it's going to be you know it's the biggest watch match in the world but like i said it's going to lose a bit of its luster but i'm excited it's definitely going to ramp up after tonight's match of madrid and valencia we'll, we'll find out because we're recording right now before they play we'll find out the outcome of that so they'll either be tied with us or league leaders there's a, there's three options with with that and uh yeah it'll definitely ramp up here and again i always love this match it's one of my favorite sporting events of the year Oh, sure. But yeah, with only one point from that draw with Real Sociedad this past weekend, Barca may be going in with a, in a weaker position. Um, they may be stronger. We we don't know as we're recording right now. By the time anyone hears this, they'll already know the results of that. But let's get into some sports issues. Let's talk, look at Real Madrid, scout them out a little bit. They have a lot of injuries uh, in their squad right now. Marco Asensio, Lucas Vasquez, Eden Hazard, Marcelo, and maybe James Rodriguez is still sort of injured but he might be able to be back in action for this game that's a lot of injuries to be dealing with with some fairly marquee players particularly Hazard yeah I would say that's the biggest injury for them because he was starting to click with Benzema more in in the last recent games and they've been on pretty good form you know they've been playing a little bit better they've been a little bit more aesthetically pleasing than I would say Barca's style lately they're going to be tough they're going to be up for this match and they really have nothing to lose you know, because they're going to be playing in Barcelona and they have all these kind of built in excuses that they can use if they do lose. Right. So they're kind of going in with house money in this situation. Mm, yeah. And as of this recording, Karim Benzema is on 15 goals and he's really their only major goal scorer after him. You know, you've got Sergio Ramos and Rodrigo, their right winger, tied at five goals. So he's definitely the goal-scoring person to mainly look out for. But a big up-and-comer for Real is this midfielder, Federico Valverde. Yeah, no relation to Mr. Beige, right? So, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so Valverde, he's been implemented in, as a starter. And since he's been a starter, they've actually looked a lot better and stronger because he's on the right side. He's just a younger uh, midfielder, so he can get up and down the flank better than Cruz or Modric now. And also, he's just really talented as well. So he definitely gives it on that balance that he looks for in his midfield. And for me, he's the, definitely the player to watch because he's one of the most exciting players now up and coming. He's an up-and-comer, you know, basically. Yeah. So do you think he's going to be setting up Benz? Yeah, you know what's funny? It's like when I watch Benzema, I'm never scared of him, really. <laughs> because I mean, think about it. Like, he's how many classicals has he played in now? More than fifteen? Quite a few. Yeah. Yeah. What's his classical moment? None. Exactly. So he seems so. Even though he's actually having a pretty good season, he's he tends to come up short in the classicals for sure. And so, like, he's a really great, as I would say, like regular season player when he's playing against other teams. But in the big matches, I just can't remember him being clutch or something significant. I mean, he's a great player. Don't get me wrong. But for me, I just think that we we can cover him pretty well and we kind of know his tricks. And so, you know, he is the playmaker. But also, I mean, he's such a hybrid. You know, he's not that strong. He's good in the air. He has a good shot. But a lot of times when he shoots, it's very inaccurate. And so, again, I'm just not really scared of him. If Hazard was playing, I would definitely be more worried because they would have had more opportunities for sure. But, for example, if he uses Rodrigo or Vinicius on that left corner – I'm perfectly okay with it. And yeah. again, I 
I'd say for me, the, the big, biggest player to watch is Valverde because I think yeah. he could give us trouble on that right side. But also in Clásicos, another player to always watch out for from Madrid is Sergio Ramos because mm. he seriously gets up for the Clásicos. He's like the opposite of Benzema <laughs> in terms of rising to the moment. I mean, I mean he, it's usually more on his defensive end of fouling and being yeah. a little you know, um, nuisance for sure. And that's the thing is like, how quick is he going to get a yellow card? I mean, we don't right. know he's going to get one. I mean, that's, yeah, that's there's the no question. Yeah. It's going to be in the 30th minute, the 40th minute. Again, I don't know if we have the speed like we did before to really expose him. Uh, now, I mean, we're so, we're, we're so plotting now that it definitely favors Ramos. And so he doesn't have to, go for the last tackle but like you like you said he always gets up for it but like too much you know <laughs> right right <laughs> too much and again real madrid is always going to be strong in the air right that that's what their advantage is usually above us so on set plays and corner kicks they they definitely are going to be uh something of a concern for us on those because ramos can find the net veron they have some tall guys on there so that yeah. can overpower us in the air yeah, now on the Barcelona side of things, uh, we do have Jordi Alba and Nelson Semedo back from injury. Both of them saw minutes in the Real Sociedad match. Dembele is still out, of course, but Griezmann's chemistry with Suarez and Messi uh, seems to be improving. And speaking of players who do really get up for the Clásicos, Messi is also one of those. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Today when I was getting ready for the show, I was reading, and there were some reports about him having some sort of injury problem this week. And which kind of may have led to his disappearance in the game against Sociedad. Because when I was watching the match, I was like, is Messi out there? I haven't seen him. And so I don't know if he's maybe saving himself from yesterday or yesterday's match for this Classico. But you are correct. Griezmann is starting to have better chemistry with those two guys. And he's the one player I think that can be the difference maker. Because as I said, we are a plotting team now. But on those breaks, Griezmann can still beat people 1v1 in a foot race, as we saw in the Anoeta and also during the week against Mallorca a couple matches ago. So he can beat Ramos, for example, on a foot race and really put uh, some pressure on their defense. And this will be Griezmann's first Clasico. So I, I remember Suarez's first Clasico. I think it was his first Clasico when he scored that one goal off of that ball that came in from PK just mm -hmm. all the way over the top. And even though he had recently joined the club, was finding his way, but he wasn't really delivering yet. And he scored that one goal and all was forgotten. Yep. He was in, right? Yeah, if Griezmann yeah, yeah. could do that in this game, then all of the um, you know deniers, the... <laughs> yeah. The trash talkers about Griezmann, not that there are many, they will probably be silenced if he can just score a nice goal in this game. The good thing is, you know, he's used to this type of climate, you know, especially in the Madrid Derby, because he was the superstar player for Atletico in the last few years. So he's played well against Real Madrid in previous derbies. And so it's not going to be such a new experience, maybe for newer Barca players that come into the fold, like Dijon, for example. I don't think he's ever played in a match this uh, tense or pressure in a club uh, setting before and so I definitely think Griezmann is going to be uh, easier to adjust to this game and he's not it's not going to phase him as much and like you said if he does have a great moment an assist or a great pass or uh, you know a goal then everyone's going to just adopt him even more yeah the Griezmann jersey sales are going to go through the roof number 17 baby exactly I mean I just hope that you know we're able to press them using Griezmann as he's been doing more and more to follow those kind of breakaway opportunities. And I think that's where we can really hit Veron and Ramos because they are not the fastest center back pairing. 
Well, I'm really excited for it, as I'm always in for El Clasico. <laughs> but since we're talking about El Clasico, let's check in on our listener crowdfunding challenge. If you're new to the show, here's what's happening. All month long, we've been driving hard to crowdfund for this podcast so that we can keep the show going and start to make improvements in the content we have on the show. To do that, we use Patreon. Patreon's a platform for supporting people who are doing creative work like making podcasts. And our efforts have been paying off. So far this month, we've gained 29 members and $160 in monthly support on Patreon. But our rival podcast that's all about Real Madrid called Managing Madrid is up to 674 members. So we've put a challenge to our listeners to become members on Patreon, support Barca Talk, and get more members than Managing Madrid. They're blowing us away right now, 674 to 79. And I know from tracking how many listens we get on each episode that we have the listeners to win this pod classico. But you have to do something about it. Join up on Patreon and support this show. There's a link at the very beginning of our show notes that will take you to our Patreon page so you can see the benefits of becoming a member and the goals we're trying to reach. Visit the page now, right now, unless you're driving. Become a member and score a goal for Barca Talk in the Pod Classico. And if you don't want to mess around with Patreon, I get that. We have a one-time donation option on our website, barsatalk.net. There's a link to that in the show notes as well. The Champions League win over Inter Milan last week featured goals from youth products Carlos Perez and Ansu Fati. Perez, officially, is still a member of Barcelona B. Other B-team players made the trip, including Ricky Puig, but none of them saw the pitch. Meanwhile, Barca B has its own schedule of matches to play. Here now with a report on Barca B is Max Bluer. Having convincingly won their Champions League group with a match to spare, Barca travel to Italy for their game against Inter, safe in the knowledge that key players could be rested ahead of tough games against Real Sociedad and, of course, Real Madrid. That meant that several Barca B players, including Dani Morea and Ronald Araujo, were on the plane to Milan. Ricky Puj and Iñaki Peña also made the trip. Ricky's first for an official first-team game this season, but, somewhat bafflingly, neither either made it onto the bench. Instead, Musa Wage, Carles Alenia and Carles Perez all started in an unusual wing-back formation that Valverde opted for in order to mirror and nullify the 3-5-2 that Antonio Conte has introduced at Inter to great effect this season. Barca started slowly, but went ahead when Griezmann pinged in a pass that Arturo Vidal laid off for Perez to sweep home. Playing slightly out of position as the leading striker, Perez scored his first Champions League goal on his first appearance in the competition, demonstrating that he has the mentality to thrive on the biggest stages. The 85 minutes that Perez played saw his contract automatically upgraded to that of a first-team player. The new deal he'd signed a month or so ago had a clause stipulating that once he'd played a certain number of minutes for the first team, he would officially become a first-teamer. This clause was activated by his game at San Siro. Although this hasn't affected Perez's salary, his release clause has now risen considerably, and his status in the first team cemented still further. Happily for me, though, having an official first-team contract will not prevent Perez from coming down to play with the B-team when he finds himself out of contention for Valverde. Another of our boys to make his mark against Inter was Carles Alenia. The central midfielder, who'd basically disappeared from the first team in recent weeks, finally made his reappearance at San Siro, and he did so with aplomb, touching the ball 110 times, finding a teammate 79 times, and creating four goal-scoring opportunities, making him the standout player in each of these three metrics. He must have impressed Valverde in training recently, as the young Cantarano, who hadn't played a single minute in La Liga since he was hauled off at half-time on the opening day of the season against Athletic Club, came off the bench in the recent victory against Mallorca, played 90 minutes against Inter in midweek, and enjoyed minutes at the weekend against Real Sociedad too. The left-footed centre midfielder, a profile that makes him unique in Barca's squad, seems to have worked his way back into Valverde's plans, just when a loan in January seemed a done deal. Both Betis and Getafe have been strongly linked, 
But having seemingly fought his way back into contention, El Chiringuri might now be loath to let Alenia go. And Alenia isn't the only young Barca player around whom speculation is swirling. Central defender Ronald Araujo has been involved more and more with the first team recently, despite his unfortunate red card on debut. And Mundo Deportivo have run several stories claiming that Valverde is a big fan and that he'll soon become a permanent member of the first team squad. If Mundo Deportivo is correct, Araujo will be replacing Jean-Claude Todibo as the fourth choice central defender. The Frenchman is barely getting any minutes and he's well aware that at just 19 years old, he needs to be playing if he's to continue with his development. He's been linked with AC Milan, Monaco and several English clubs, but Barca are determined not to let him go for less than 10 million euros, while a buyback clause will be included no matter what. One man who won't be leaving the club is Moussa Wagge. The right-back shone for Barca Bay last season and was subsequently promoted to the first team, but he didn't play a single minute until the recent Leganes game, where he played the full 90, while he also completed the recent match against Inter in the Champions League. Reportedly, the Senegalese has had offers from across Europe, but due to the sheer amount of games that Barca will be facing after the winter break, he won't be going anywhere, at least until the summer. The fact that Semedo is only just back from injury may also open up the possibility of further minutes for Wagge. There's been a little bit of controversy in the last couple of weeks too. Ricky Pooge was recently asked about Academy Director Patrick Kluivert's comments that he should consider a temporary move away. To which he responded that, He hasn't spoken with me. Abadal's above him, anyway. While of course this is true, Abidal is the club's sporting director and Kluivert merely the director of the academy. It perhaps wasn't the most diplomatic comment, and the Dutchman is reportedly none too pleased with the young Catalan. On the pitch, Ronald Araujo equalised his own own goal as Barcebe came from behind to beat Castellon 2-1 at the Johan Cruyff. Before the team succumbed to yet another draw, their fourth in five games, in a goalless game away against Valencia Mastaya. Nonetheless, the boys are still hovering in and around the playoff spots as we approach the winter break. For Barca Talk, I'm Max Bluer. All right, now, before diving into the breakdown of Barca's 2-2 draw at the Anoeta, I have to talk about our crowdfunding campaign some more because I came up with this crowdfunding plan that would benefit everyone, as I saw it. We would have enough seed money to expand the scope and the quality of this podcast. It wouldn't cost any one person very much, and we would end funding appeals like this one forever, which is the dream for me. But that plan required a minimal buy-in from about 40% of our listeners. And we've had some buy-in, but only from 0.4% of our listeners, not the 40% that we needed. So clearly, the plan I hatched was uh, too ambitious or flawed in some way, and we've revised our goals slightly. The main thing for me is that we have been putting a lot of time into each episode for almost three years now, and we've been doing it for free. And I just can't keep doing this show for free. So we have a minimum fundraising goal to reach in order to keep making the show. And if we can't hit that by the end of the season, we'll close it down. The goal is $2,500 a month in Patreon membership. When we reach that goal, the show won't change that much, but we will be able to raise our pay rate for contributors like Max pay ourselves for the work we put into the show, and at that point we'll also start donating 5% of our monthly membership to the FCB Camp Scholarship Fund. This is a project that we have every year in partnership with the Houston Cules, where we work with Peña presidents uh, to send young players to FC Barcelona summer soccer camps. Once we reach that $2,500 a month goal, we'll immediately start giving back as well as putting it into the show. So join the crowdfunding effort now by visiting one of the links in the show notes on this episode. If you want to do a small donation on a monthly basis, sign up on Patreon. At the $5 a month tier or above, you'll get a custom podcast feed to listen to the show without any commercials or these funding appeals. Just pure, uncut Barca talk. 
If you want to buy in but you don't want to join Patreon, go to BarzaTalk.net where you can make a one-time donation with options ranging from $30 to $1,000 and you'll get that same custom podcast feed and that could also trigger lowering our monthly Patreon goals. Thanks. All right, now let's talk about La Liga. Match day 17 against Real Sociedad in the Anahueta and it was a 2-2 draw. So like if for a neutral, good game to watch, fun game. Two goals apiece, tense situations, penalties given, penalties not given, good goals scored. From our point of view, uh, fairly disappointing. In the first five minutes, Sociedad had two good chances. Luckily, they didn't convert on them, but they were good chances, and both times they were exploiting space on Barca's right side, on Sergio Roberto's side. Again, I told you this game was going to be tough, you know? Yeah, and, you did. Yeah, you it, knew. Yeah. I, we were talking earlier, and I I just love this midfield so much. I, they're just really exciting to watch. They're hungry, they're young, and they just they just go for it, and they just don't care. And I love that uh, seeing that play. But again, if you're a neutral, this game was a really good game to watch. Really great environment. I I want to go check out a game here at the stadium because it just looks amazing. Like it's big enough to be modern and new, but it also it's like small enough to really feel intimate and so forth. So. I knew, I knew we were going to have problems just because of their speed. And when I watched them play against Real Madrid, that was clear as day that they were able to overrun Madrid through the midfield because of their speed. And they did the same thing to us. Now, we talked in the previous podcast that Sociedad prefers using a 4-2-3-1 that they were going to use that all the time. But for this match, they switched it up to a 4-1-4-1. And of course, they completely flooded us even more in the midfield, not only by our speed, but by having this tactical formation. Yeah, and you could, even with a 4-2-3-1, we were anticipating some midfield flooding. But uh, Aguasil, Sociedad's manager, he just went all the way with more flooding. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was a great move on his part because he basically just added, you know, another midfielder and then just pushed the striker up. And it was a really, really nice move. It took us forever to adapt to it. And, you know, poor Busquets was getting overrun all game long. And the tactical or lack of, tactical flexibility that we have right now is really hurting us and you know as we talked about let's say if we take the sample size of the last 10 games you know we have been winning we have been looking better but also those teams do not have the talent or pace that Sociedad has if we take this little micro sample these are the teams that are the type of teams we're going to face in champions that are hungry young fast and we're going to have a lot of problems with those type of teams yeah, and Busquets generally um, had a bad day at the office, not just in the run of play, getting overrun by their midfield, but also on the set plays, because that led to Sociedad's first actual goal in the 11th minute, or in the 10th minute, it was on Sociedad's first corner kick, Busquets was caught holding Diego Llorente in the box, a penalty was awarded, and Oyer Sabal scored on the penalty. This was such a soft penalty. I mean, if you're going to grab someone, grab someone, you know, like <laughs> it was such a weak grab. And the way Busquets like fainted as well, like it just it just was a bad look all around. And, you know, this is one of the reasons why Busquets has that soft label. It's because of plays like this. You know, I don't think that Busquets like I wouldn't really consider him all the way soft. But there's just times when he has soft moments <laughs> like this play where he just had to man mark a little bit tighter. And yet yeah, there's a lot of chaos in the corner. I know that. But at the same time, if you're going to grab someone, grab someone. I mean, get your money's worth, you know, <laughs> try to try to get it in there. But 
I, for me, just watching the first 10 minutes, I already knew that they were going to score early. Like I just had that feeling, you know? Right. And just as we always talk about the four o'clock vaunted kickoff time, we <laughs> looked like we were zombie walking again. It's just, you know, we, they're like, oh yeah, we have a game now. And everyone's like, oh, we do. And they just kind of roll it out. And Sociedad was up for it right from the beginning. It took us maybe what, 30 minutes? After yeah. the Griezmann goal to get started and to get going. I mean, it just takes us forever to get started in these afternoon kickoff times. Well, you know, like we learned from that one match, I forget which one it was, but uh, we should have taken a bus two days early yeah. and done it that way. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing is that San Sebastian is so close to Barcelona that they just basically left the morning of, you know, and that's kind of it just bugs me to still see this team not react for these kickoff times, you know, that this is part of the coach's job is to get the team prepared tactically, but also emotionally to get them charged up, you know, and just, I'm not asking him to do rah-rah speeches, but we've seen so many inconsistencies on the road. One of the things, you know, we talk about, you know, the last road, a La Liga game they had was in the Wanda against Atletico. And yeah, we, we did play a little bit better. You know, we were more energized. We got the victory, but still, we still lack the energy throughout the game and especially at the start where you just have to hold fort essentially and not let the other team dictate you and push you around for me it's still troubling to see this because it's a combination i think of valverde not doing the correct tactics getting them charged up but also the players again it just goes to the to the fact that they're playing so many minutes they cannot get up for every game this is where we need to have that youth like Todibo or these other players alenia to come in and to really amp up the team but you know, these players, especially, you know, if we look across the board, you know, it's like Suarez, for example, for me in this game, he was lumpy, you know, mm-hmm. like we needed someone to press, we needed someone to get the ball, and he just can't do those efforts. So for me, it's a combination of all these things, and it's going to continue to have inconsistent results on the road. Well, fair enough, but Barca did have a response in the 38th minute. Griezmann got Barcelona's first goal on the counter. Suarez put it through for Griezmann running onto it. So he wasn't lumpy in that moment. And Griezmann scooped it over the Sociedad goalkeeper, Alex Romero, your favorite kind of finish, the the scoop finish. Yeah, the scoop chip finish. I love it. Yeah. I mean, we're starting to see the chemistry start to get better. We're starting to utilize Griezmann's strengths on these kind of quick counters that are happening. And especially how Sociedad was pressing high. We had a lot of gaps behind them. But again, it was a nice pass, a nice really play. But again, this is why it's kind of like this false sense of security because there's like five minutes of really good play. And as soon as we tie, we just kind of go back down to walking and plotting and not really going after it. Yeah. And I have a first half shooting stat for you. Barca only got off four shots total in the first half. Two were on target to six shots, also two on target for Sociedad. And even in the end, by the end of the game, Sociedad had almost taken twice as many shots as Barca, but both had five on target. So that's, as particularly in the first half, that's pretty embarrassing. I mean, they were finding it hard just to get into scoring position. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, how many times were they just on the counters on us, you know? It was like so many times I can remember just Odegaard just leading the charge, you know, with the battalion, you know? And they were just coming in, crossing. They had corners. They, had, they just had a lot of opportunities. And that's the thing is that if we are not possessing the ball outright, you know, having the really good possession and moving the ball, we are always going to be in trouble because our defense is not solid enough. We're not physical enough. And Sociedad exposed that. And like you said, that's a really good stat because that's just telling we barely had any opportunities on our attacking. We only If you take away that Griezmann goal, we barely did anything. We barely yeah. made an indent in the game. Yeah. And then in the second half, we went ahead. 
in the 49th minute, almost right out of the gate of the second half. So that was very encouraging. It was uh, the Suarez goal, Sociedad with a high line, a ball from Busquets over the top for Messi, and Suarez actually came back from an offside position, which you don't normally expect from him, but he did it, and he scored with Messi's assist and made it 2-1 to one Barcelona. So now we're thinking, all right, we're we're getting this game underhand. Yeah, but again, it's... It- it was, you know, it was a nice build-up play. I can't argue with that. And it was also right off the, it was right off the gate of the second half, so that helped too to kind of build that momentum. And it was a nice little pass for Messi to set up Suarez, and Suarez almost missed it. I mean, he did not have a clean finish on that. If you watch it, he kind of just chunked it. But I mean, it was good enough to get into the goal. Yeah, I almost called it because when I was watching it, because I watched it on replay since I was at my Christmas party yesterday. So when I was watching it, you know, I knew the goal was coming. And I just was like, oh my god, if he would have missed that everyone would have flipped out, you know? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But again, you know, after we go up 2-1, like you said, you have this feeling like, okay, we're going to ride the momentum. We're going to, we've survived their first initial 20 minutes. We're okay. The same thing happens where we just lull ourselves to sleep. We invite the other team to attack us because we think that they're just not good enough to get goals. And sure enough, they were able to equalize later on. Yeah, yeah. In the 62nd minute with a goal from Isak, Ter Stegen deflected the cross in from Nacho Monreal at first, but not very well. He was down on the ground. I mean, it was a hard deflection to make in the first place. But Isak was there to score pretty easily on the rebound to make it 2-2. And that's unfortunate, but even worse was that after that, no real reaction from Barca. Nothing. And I would say even before that, the other thing, too, was just the defending on that play was just absolutely horrendous. Everyone just ball watching. No one's marking their man. And, you know, when you're playing defense, especially when you're being pushed against that line and there's so many players in the box and so forth, you really have to just watch your man and the ball as best as you can. Isaac was all by himself. I mean, you know, Ter Stegen, uh, with that re- deflection, you know, obviously you're, he was trying to push it out further, but just couldn't. He basically deadened the ball perfectly for Isaac. Yeah, and, he, and, <laughs> he should get an assist on that. Yeah, he should. And and Isaac was just completely open. And everyone just, tra- you know, it's really bad defending when everyone just turns around and looks at each other. And yeah. Tries to blame. It drives me bonkers. Like, you, it's really just basic defending. And we just lack that in that moment, you know. And 2-2, the same thing happens. We just have no reaction. We didn't go for it. We had no fight in us. And we just said, okay, one point to get out of the Anoeta. We're good with that. It's like a birthday ball, you know? Let's just see this thing through and call it a, you know, not great day at the office. (laughs) Exactly. And then, and then with that being said, Valverde does the typical substitutions coming in with Vidal and so forth. Right, right. Well, in the 73rd minute, he made his first substitutions when uh, Nelson Semedo came on for Jordi Alba. And with both of them coming back from injury, not a bad idea to ask too much from either of them. Uh, Semedo has filled in for Alba at left back a few times this season. He's gotten better at it, though I still think Junior Firpo is a stronger left back than Semedo is. But you can make the argument that Valverde is trying to get minutes for both of them. But there's also a question, at least the media has been asking whether Alba was taken out for fitness issues. And so far, there's no announcement that there's anything wrong with Alba. So that is good. Yeah, I don't understand why he didn't put Furpo in as a sub, you know, because he's a stronger left back than Semedo. Why didn't he put him in the squad? He wasn't even in the squad. It's just baffling to me, you know, like Semedo is a good player, but... He's a right back, you know, like you're spo- like we always talk about, just have one for one as much as possible, especially on your defense. You need to have that substitution for just in case. And yeah, maybe he's bringing trying to bring some in, but put him in for Sergio Roberto. 
Like, right. do that. You're going to, you're going to make the defense a little bit stronger defensively by putting Semedo there right back. You may lose a little something on the attacking part, but what we really needed was we needed some speed out there. And Sergio Roberto is just not one of the speediest. And again, I don't understand, you know, like for another thing for me was Alba was a non-factor. And I, I just don't know if it was, you know, him just trying to get his feet wet the first game back. But I mean, he was invisible, you know, for me, for most of the match. I mean, the only players that I that really stood up for me in this match was De Jong because he was all over the place and I could really see him. Uh, obviously, uh, Griezmann and PK. And those are yeah. the top three. You know, everyone else was kind of just like sleepwalking through it. They just didn't make an impression on the match. And that's really hard to say because they're world-class players. And when everyone is having a bad day, it's just really noticeable. And also, as far as the left-back position goes, just like that, Junior Firpo can look forward to the Copa del Rey in January. <laughs> With Alba and Semedo back, he's all he can do is start studying up on his potential opponents in Copa del Rey because that's the next time he's going to see minutes probably. Yeah, it's a shame because, you know, he is good enough to be a backup and to spell some minutes for Alba so that we can maintain and preserve him for the rest of the season. But again, I just don't understand this Semedo thing on the left back. I just I don't like it at all. He's uncomfortable there. Why put him in an uncomfortable position? It's just going to lead to bad opportunities and more goal-scoring opportunities for the other team. Right. Now, in the 79th minute, uh, Vidal came on for Rakitic. Oh, and Carlos Alenia came on for Busquets in that earlier 73rd minute change. Now, Vidal is an expected change to come from Valverde. That's very normal. But whereas a week or two ago, maybe he would have put in Fati for Griezmann Instead, he put in Alenia. But as we've mentioned, Busquets was totally exposed in this match, and that's what put Alenia out there. Yeah, again, the Vidal substitution. It's still I, I still can't get over that he's a Barca player still, and it's crazy because it's been You seem to be really in denial about this. I know. It just, it's been it, many weeks now. I know, but it just it, it you know, I expect it because the, the announcers always go, Ah, Vidal warming up. I'm just like and I just roll my eyes. I just go, I cannot believe this guy is on our team, you know? <laughs> and it has nothing to do with like he's a good player, but he's just not a Barca player. And again, when he came into the match, did he do anything? No, he didn't do anything. He ran a lot. Okay, great. But he doesn't give us any attacking presence and he doesn't do anything. If we're facing a fast team now, we have to have Dijon start in the pivot because Busquets just does not have the wheels anymore to cover that distance. And what happens as we talk about the battery, if the front part of it is exposed, as we saw yesterday, how many chances did Odegaard lead the charge? I mean, for me, he's a stud. He played like a 20-year-old, but he exposed Busquets with the speed and the ability to, to just run out in front. And where, you know, as we've talked about in previous episodes, when Busquets was playing with Xavi and Iniesta and stuff, when Busquets was asked to play as the defensive part of that midfield, he only had maybe two or three opportunities in a game where he had to do that. And the overall team defense was so much better that it was never put on him as a 1v1 player. But now, with our lack of strong midfield passing... He's just being exposed more and more, and we just need someone speedier to recover, and DeJong is that guy. So I think going forward, we're really t- you know, tough matches. We need to have DeJong start as the pivot and just kind of use Busquets for other uh, matches. Right. Now, there was the controversy, at least for us, it was controversial. But in extra time, PK was pulled down in the box, and there was no call for a penalty. Should a penalty have been given, why didn't it go to VAR? Uh, we did get this from our member, Carlos why is there VAR if it's not going to be used correctly? That penalty given to Sociedad was soft at best. Then the last play on PK was literally the same thing. 
So you've looked into this a little bit. What uh, what kept this from going to a video assisted review? Yeah. So the the main thing is that the only time the VAR referee can ping the referee for something if there's a flagrant error. And as we were talking before, it's like, well, what's a flagrant error? What right. a flagrant error for you can be something soft for me. This, that, that. It's basically just, you know, a complete 180 call. Like they completely missed it and whatever. The ref ultimately still has the decision that he can use VAR if he wants to. But in this play, where if you watch his positioning in this replay, the way he's looking at it, he obviously cannot see that PK got pulled down. The other thing, too. From the view, when because I, I was watching today on the sports show how they were breaking it down from the referee's point of view, it looks like PK dove, and that's mm-hmm. what it looks like. And the referee immediately waved no call, like he immediately called it. So that's how you can kind of tell his point of view. Now, to change that, there has to be a better collaboration with the ref and the VAR team. There just has to be more carte blanche, or the team should be able to add a challenge. You know, that's the next step. Right, the VAR is not perfect. You know. They're yeah. still going to have these calls. But the thing is, our team play in this game was so bad. And the idea that we would have been saved by VAR, I think, would have been a farce, right? Imagine we got the three points because of this VAR call. It would have still continued to hide all the things that we're still having problems with. And so, yes, it was a missed call because PK was completely dragged down. There should have been a VAR call, and it wasn't. But to hang it to just this moment, and that's why we lost... I just can't do it because right. we just didn't do enough in this match to warrant a win. And it continues to put it like these type of performances. Like if we would have got the three points, would it continue to put the Band-Aid on the wound that is Valverde football? So in that specific moment, sure, it was a missed call. And maybe VAR needs to be revisited and tweaked even that much more or adding a challenge or that sort of thing. But when you look at the full 90 minutes, that shouldn't have been the decisive thing. There were so yeah. many other things that Barca could have done differently. So yeah. in a way for you, it's almost better that the weaknesses of the club are more exposed by this draw. Exactly, because then that's going to have them maybe more focused for the Classico, right? Because if they would have won this match, you know, we, our unbeaten streak would have continued basically, or, you know, win streak essentially. And we would have just continued to feel, you know, with our chest puffed out and ready to go. And then if Madrid would have hit us in the mouth... You know, then how do we react? And again, I think it's good because it kind of brings us down and hopefully we'll be more focused defensively and as a team to have a better performance in the Classico. Yeah. But another thing you mentioned to me about this match is that in your estimation, this was PK's best game of the season. Yeah, definitely. I think it was his best match. He was definitely engaged. And that's, I think, key for him. You know, when he's engaged in it, he is still one of the best center backs in the world. And the thing for me is, you know, I was I was watching a, a video on a YouTuber that does Barca talk uh, stuff in Spanish, and he had a really great line. He said, when PK is the man of the match, it's not the greatest thing because, yes, he had a great match, but you definitely want to have your attacking midfielder or forward be the man of the match because that means they had a really good performance. If PK is the man of the match, it means we were just under barrage and PK made a lot of defensive stops when he had to, and that definitely was true about that on this match. Again, you know, we talked about how many times did he make good blocks on and good reads on defensive counterattacks, which he had to do all game long, and he did that well. But the only lapse I would say that he had was on the second goal from Sociedad, where everyone on the defensive line had a lapse. All right, well, we'll be back on Friday with a breakdown of El Clasico, and that will be our last episode of the year because I'll be traveling. We'll tell you more about that on Friday. Um, but so join our crowdfunding campaign now. 
follow one of the links in the show notes for this episode to either become a member on Patreon or give a one-time donation for the show. Help us reach our goals, keep the show going, and improve it over time. Thanks to Max Bluer this week. Barza Talk is a production of Sound at Media, written by Gabriel Quiroga and Brian Henderson, produced by Brian Henderson, social media and promotion by Two Point Go. Until next time, Visca Barza. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.